the NFL world has descended upon Indianapolis. I'm certainly in contact with a lot of people who are there just trying to get the latest, you know, tidbit scoops, updates about what's going on, because that's how we do things here at Fireside Bears. But what's up, guys? Welcome into the Fireside Bears podcast brought to you by Empire Sports Media. Before we get into introductions, make sure you are going ahead and you've liked, commented, subscribed to the podcast, rate, review it. All right. Check out our YouTube channel, too. We're dropping a couple podcasts. No, not podcasts on there, but some podcasts, which we'll get into a moment, because Sam going to talk about his capstone project but we're dropping prospect interviews on there just had one with larry borum's former teammate and touched on talking to larry this is my third show so please forgive me of the evening by the way i've been on two other shows since 3 p.m this afternoon so please forgive me if i'm super super tired but you know me usaid koshal guys you can follow me on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at usaid koshal joining us is sam stevenson you can follow him on twitter at shy sports sam the other guy who consistently has laptop problems week after week it's becoming like a common theme that you can't have the fireside bears podcast without discussing joseph Hurst's laptop issues he just kicked him out of the zoom call it's at joseph Herf nfl hopefully he hops back in we've got duke coughlin in the house today whose twitter handle is that at that pod guy duke i believe it is yeah at that pod guy duke i got it correctly he's the now host of the barely there podcast duke what's up i know we've gone back and forth on twitter a couple times in a good sense by the way good to finally meet you in person welcome to the show man yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. Um, you know, as as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, I can be a little bit of a firecracker over there, um, especially if I'm passionate about something. But as far as I can remember, me and you have only had good interactions. You know, so I really, I'm really glad uh, you guys brought me on. I really, really appreciate it. It would be quite the show if you guys had had any bad interactions. I'll say, I'll say that much right here. That would be that would be quite a fireside bears episode. But uh, welcome to the show, man. It's nice to have you on. Yeah, man, it's it's a pleasure. Um, I actually have been on shows before where there has been a little bit of tension in the room. Um, but naturally, I grew up in Wisconsin my entire life as a Bears fan, so I'm used to just that that type of tension in the room at all times. I, I argue with Packer fans every day, so I can I can turn it on, I can turn it off at any point. So. Yeah, it's about like knowing your limits and stuff as Joe tries to get his laptop or whatever working here. I don't know what this man's issue is. You should probably just, you know, take the safe route and jump on Zoom from his phone, dial into the meeting some way, somehow. I don't know. But anyways, guys, let's get right into it because we talked about this, you know, the Bears are in Indianapolis this week. Prospects are going to be talking. I believe it's like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So keep an eye on that. You know, you might just see video clips and stuff floating all over bears twitter because the entire bears beat people that we know are basically in indianapolis but i'm gonna go to duke on this one first hello joseph and just get your opinion dude what makes this combine so important for the bears besides just the fact that it's the first go around for ryan poles and matt eberflus um, well, I think specifically it has to be, you know, I, I think it's impossible to bring up the scouting combine without bringing up Ryan Poles. Um, I think the biggest key with all of this is him finding depth and being able to maneuver in a bottom heavy draft. Is he a guy that falls in love with Cinderella on date night? You know, does he fall in love with the great, you know, the great performer at the combine? Does he fall in love with 40 times? Does he fall in love with bench press reps? Because that's something we see with a lot of um, GMs really 
across the NFL. And it's kind of hard to gauge how they're going to be until we actually see it. Um, I saw that Ryan Poles did make the uh, statement today about his offensive line being a little bit faster, you know, being a little bit lighter on their feet. Um, so does he jump at an offensive lineman who seems to be, you know, have better balance than the other offensive lineman in the combine? You know, I think it's a double-edged sword, um, which is why I really want to see how Poles and Eberflus, I, you know, I, you have to bring up Eberflus throughout this process as well because he's the head coach, obviously. But um, I really want to see how they maneuver and how they find the diamonds in this rough in this draft. Because uh, when I say bottom-heavy draft, as I said on the top of this, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that there's more players out there in the later rounds that you can get a lot of potential out of, and it's all about finding those guys. And that's something that our previous GM, Ryan Pace, did very well. So I'm really excited to see what Bulls does. Yeah, I certainly think, you know, it's going to be exciting. And before I bounce it over here to Sam and then Joseph will round it out because that's his punishment for having computer malfunctions. Okay, Uh, look, you look at this draft and you look at where the Bears are. They don't have a first round pick. And so now all of a sudden you we I'm not saying we shouldn't be talking about some of these top guys like offensive tackle, but also the importance of this draft is that there's a lot of depth at two positions, so the Bears hopefully don't screw this up. It's wide receiver and it's offensive tackle. And I've long been of the opinion that your most valuable asset is 39th overall, so maybe you do consider trading back, knowing that you are able to go ahead and get someone such as a Sky Moore or a Romeo Dobbs from Nevada, two really good wide receivers that I like. When you look at the offensive line class, I mean, Poles made some really intriguing comments today. He's just like, look, the offensive line that we have right now that the Bears have is good, but it's not necessarily great. And what this unit really needs to be for the rest of the unit to take off is has to be an elite positional group. And so the importance of this draft class is that I think this is a draft class the Bears solidify their offensive line. Not just now, but for the future. Because I don't think this old line is going to be totally revamped the way that everyone thinks it. They're saying it is. I mean, everyone this offseason has been like, move on from Cody White here, move on from James Daniels. Well, let me talk about Cody White here for a second. He's an interesting case study because I do think that he's the leader of this offensive line right now, and I would not mind seeing him back. Plus, it just does not make any sense to move on from a player unless you know there's a clear and significant upgrade out there. I know Ryan Allen, or I'm sorry, Brian Allen, Ryan Jensen are two names that Bears fans just love to throw out, but I think we also have to be honest with ourselves. Where this team is right now, they need to lay the foundation. They can't go ahead and just spend, spend, spend in free agency and be fine for three or four years because that's exactly what Ryan Pace did with some of these positional groups. And what ended up happening? Well, never really paid off for the Bears, unfortunately. You know, so this combine, you need to do as much homework as you can outside of just looking for prospects that you're going to look to draft in April. Look for prospects that you could trade down and develop and get the most value out of that I think is going to make the biggest difference for the bears. Cause again, this is a team right now where they have too much money tied up into so few players. Thanks to Ryan pace. What's happening is this is they effectively have to use the draft over the next two years, 2022 and 23 to basically get younger and lay the foundation again. Yeah. I think both uh, Duke and you said, you guys kind of both, hit the hit the idea of of 
a deeper draft class and the importance of, Hey, if, if, if we have an opportunity to go down and, and acquire another pick and, and get more talent and just get more roster spots filled, finding depth. I couldn't agree more with that. I think a big thing too is, is keeping an eye on even names that seem like first round picks. The reason why I say this is because I believe the majority of people last year had a first round grade on Tevin Jenkins and he fell to the bears in the second round. Obviously pace made that happen with the trade up, but guys drop in the draft who should be first round talent. And it's always important, especially for a new GM and a new head coach to keep tabs on guys like that, because you never know who's going to be there early in the second round. I mean, the bears have the 39th overall pick in the NFL draft. It's a very good second round pick. Obviously it'd be nice to have seven, but lo and behold, we use that to, to draft Justin Fields. And I would do that move again and again and again. A, a big thing too is, and again, it, it's said perfectly. It's hard to not talk about Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus because this is kind of their first year to see, okay, what is the strategy? What is the mindset? You're coming into a franchise that has a lot of question marks, has a lot of good young talent, but a lot of rosters, you know, spots that need to be filled. And, and you know, kind of what is your image of this team? And you said you kind of hit it really well and really nicely. The idea that this draft class and the next draft class are going to be very important for how the new regime wants the Bears to look. And again, it is a very, very good draft in terms of depth and a lot of positions. I don't think there's a lot of like absolutely guaranteed amazing players. There's definitely some guys and there's definitely some good names. But again, it is absolutely a bottom heavy draft class. And that could absolutely be a good thing for a team like the Bears, who will hopefully have some opportunities to move down and get good talent day three and day two, because they're going to need it. And I'm excited. I'm curious. I liked a lot of the stuff that Ryan Pohl said in his presser today. Obviously, we're going to talk a little more about that later. Um, But it's the first year, I feel like, in a while where I don't totally have an idea or a sense of what my general manager is going to do. And a big part of that is they kind of have an answer at quarterback right now, or at least what they hope is going to be an answer. That's a big key. Ryan Pace kind of struggled with that his whole time here in Chicago. He thought he had something in Mitch. He brought in guys like Mike Glennon, Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, and then last year, obviously, traded up for Fields. Poles doesn't have to worry about that because it's clear he has confidence in Justin Fields. He can kind of go into this year and kind of go any direction he wants to. Obviously, I hope they can find a, a day one starter in round two and hopefully in round three, but I'm excited and kind of the theme that I've been carrying for a while, cautiously optimistic. For sure. And I know you guys are kind of like, I, a lot of people are pretty big on the combine. I honestly, myself, am not huge on it. I think it's a, a nice showcase. I think it's a cool way for those lower level players to show that they're actually athletes and that they have some potential talent with like 40 yard dash, um, any sort of agility drills. But overall, I'm really not the biggest fan of it. So I, I really think the only thing that's really going to be important for polls and earflus is to go in with an open mind. Um, and to basically have a big board of players that they're very interested in anybody who honestly doesn't fit the strength, speed, and agility that they're looking for, for their big needs. Like say they test absolutely horribly, just cross them off the list. Like it's just not worth your time. Um, you, you see, I mean, you see guys who they're, they're huge talents in the college football and they run an absolute horrible forward, like a four, eight or a four, nine. And instantly it's just they They drop and they don't even find a place in the NFL. And that's because if you're really that bad, it's that significant. But then there are obviously other cases where that's not the case. David Montgomery is a good example. His 40 time wasn't amazing, but it wasn't horrible either. So 
it's good to kind of keep an eye on it and to just basically cross names off your list and lower them down. I really don't think they should be looking at it to say, okay, you know what? This guy now is the guy we need to go after because he ran his four three five forty. No, I I really could care less about a forty yard dash. Really could care less about how much he bench presses, how much you get to bench press somebody mid game, how many times you can run with no pads on, no helmet on, and blind in the open field. I'm not huge on. It. I really think the most important thing is for Poles and Eberflus both to just get good interviews in with the people that they're interested in, and basically just use it as a chopping block to cross more names off their list that they're interested in. And, you know, to that point, I think there's something that's to be said for all this is that for over the last couple of years, this team has done its homework on players like crazy left and right. But I also think that, you know, one thing Poles and Eberflus, I fully expect them to do is just go ahead and just find players that are specific to the bear scheme. I know it sounds generic because that's kind of how you build a football team. You draft players based on what they're able to do in your scheme, but the Bears didn't always do that under Pace and Nagy. And like we said multiple times, it's hard to talk about this roster without talking about Pace and Nagy because this isn't a roster that's necessarily entirely starting over from scratch because there are some pieces here that you can build around. But the point I'm making so is this. Is it's like, look at Travis Gibson. You know, he was a 4-3 defensive end at Tulsa and the Bears converted him into a 3-4 outside linebacker, all right? Now, the good news is that Gibson's still an asset because he's going to be able to go ahead and transition back to playing defensive end in this scheme if needed. But ultimately, when you look at it, like the Bears have not drafted scheme-specific players, and you certainly get the vibe that what's happening is, you know, Poles and Eberflus are going to just look more so for these scheme-specific guys to kind of help speed up this rebuild because the faster you can speed up the rebuild, the better because, unfortunately, you know, the Bears already wasted a year of Justin Fields' rookie contract. Poles and Eberflus don't have the luxury of, you know, waiting around. It's just like, come the 2024 offseason, they're going to have to make a decision on his fifth-year option, okay? And, you know, three or four years down the road sounds like a lot, but it's not necessarily a lot. It's going to be here quicker than we all know it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's kind of the biggest thing. And that's, um, you know, not to go back in ancient history, but that was the biggest thing that bothered me about bringing back Matt Nagy for this past year was because of this kind of window that we're going to have with Justin Fields contract. Um, it's impossible to look around the league and not see all these quarterbacks getting paid, you know, exuberant amounts of money, big portions of the cap. So that's why that's why the draft is so important. And that's why we need Ryan Poles to step up in a way that can build depth while also bringing potential starters into the mix in a draft like this. Um, I didn't know how far we wanted to elaborate on that point, but I just really wanted to bring that up that, that quarterback window, especially look at uh, Arizona and Kyler Murray right now. It's, it's a big deal. And it's something that we really can't afford to mess around with. Hold on. I was going to ask, did any of you guys see this one tweet from Matt Miller saying that apparently there's more, um, and we can get off topic here anyways. We got a loaded show for you guys. But did you guys see the tweet from Matt Miller talking about how Mr. Trubisky is being talked about more at the Combine than any of the other like five quarterbacks? Yeah, that really doesn't surprise me. In all honesty, I mean, the, all those quarterbacks are question marks. Like Trubisky, you know what you're getting. You know you're getting at least at the very bare minimum with arguably one of the worst offensive head coaches in the last 10 years, you know, you're getting at least a bare minimum average. Like he still has a relatively high scene. Like, like I think Matt Miller said it too, or someone did that. He is a very still athletic quarterback. And I mean, studying under Brian Dable, studying under Josh Allen, 
that staff they had on offense there outside of just Dable was pretty impressive. So I, I honestly don't see why not get them into a good offense that will use them correctly and actually cares about how to use them and actually wants to be smart and call good plays and basically just go to their players' abilities. It, it's not a bad, it's a, it's a like, it's not a guaranteed playoff spot, but if you're a quarterback away from like, if you're like, the, if you're the commanders is a good example. If you're a quarterback away from like being a contender, he can make you a contender. You're not going to win a Super Bowl with him, no. But he could be a very solid guy that you have for three or four years while you build a guy like Malik Willis, who could be an enormous question mark. I think I have Mitch Trubisky, the word, muted on Twitter because that or I've just been kind of ignoring what I've seen. And it's it's no disrespect. and It's no hate against Mitch. I was a Mitch guy. I, I got into the Mitch hype. I continued to try to sell myself on him. And I wish him nothing but success. And Yes, obviously a 26, 27-year-old quarterback who's made two playoff appearances and I think definitely got the the bad kind of, you know, was definitely a scapegoat from Matt Nagy for a while, is better than this, you know, right now than this quarterback draft class. We have absolutely no idea who is going to be the guy in this draft class this year. I mean, this is one of those quarterback draft classes where I look at each guy and I'm like, I can make a case for both sides of it. I, I mean... Guys have been fluctuating all over the place. I mean, I I think there has not been a. I don't have personally a consensus number one quarterback in this draft class. I I just don't. And you know, Mitch is going to go somewhere hopefully this year, and and hopefully it's a contender and and gives them an opportunity to compete again. I like the guy. Wish him the best of luck. But Justin Fields is my quarterback, and I just I, I don't understand how all the time in the off season. There's all these CBS sports. I don't know who is the truth of there at CBS sports, but they love Mitch Trubisky. Let me tell you that. I think I had to mute them at one point. And again, like the guy, hope he does well this season, but that's about all I can say on that. Well, I, I think a lot with uh, a lot with that CBS guy is dude, it, it gets clicks. Like we're talking about Mitch Trubisky and, you know, we haven't had him on the team for well over a year now, you know, um, I, I'm kind of with Joe on this one. I think Mitch is a guy that you can put on a good roster and he's not going to lose you games. He's not going to be so bad that he will cost you any one game. Um, I I think the example I've been using for the past two seasons was um, Ryan Tannehill. Um, I, I think that's not the greatest example, obviously, after what happened in the playoffs this past year, but. You know, Tannehill during the regular season wasn't losing them games. He was making the throws he needed to make. Um, they weren't asking him to do a lot. They had a solid run game behind him. They had, you know, a AJ Brown and Julio Jones to throw to. So I think when you look at some of these rosters that need a quarterback, you know, even you look at Washington with like, you know, Tory McLaren, you know, give that to give Mitchell Trubisky Tory McLaren and let him kind of run with that. Um, or even the Steelers with what they're gonna, with what they're doing with uh, you know Claypool and a lot of different players they have on their roster, Najee Harris in the backfield. Um, there's a lot of teams that could use just that you know safe bet at quarterback. You know the the Eagles want the Eagles won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles because he didn't lose them games. He was safe enough. He didn't turn the ball over. He um, he did what they needed to do. And one thing that I think gets understated when it comes to Mitch is uh, how great of an athlete he is. So he can fit into any sort of uh, modern NFL offense. If you want to use him like Lamar Jackson, you could use him as a 
as a poor man style of Lamar Jackson, throw 15 times a game, just get to get good matchups because he's running the ball so much. I also think you can use them as a guy that you, you know, ideally you can throw the ball with him 25, you know, under 30 times a game, you know, none, none of the Matt Nagy 55 times a game in a one score game. Yeah. Really liked doing that. But, um, yeah, I think Mitch is going to have a market. And, you know, to your point, Sam, when you're talking about the quarterbacks in this draft, I think it's funny because if you would ask this last year who the top quarterback in this upcoming draft, I feel like a lot of people would have said Sam Howell. And that's just not the answer anymore. You know, so that leaves a lot of uh, a lot of doubt with the quarterback draft, um, a lot of doubt with an already not very deep, cor- deep draft in the first place, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think a team could take a chance on Mitch while still drafting a quarterback that they want to maybe take a little bit chance on a higher upside guy, you know, kind of similar how the 49ers have used Jimmy G while drafting Trey Lance. Um, I guess kind of similar in the most failed Chicago bears way of signing Andy Dalton and drafting Justin Fields. But I think, I think that formula if done correctly can work really well. And I think Mitch is a good guy to uh, lead a franchise for a couple of years. I honestly, I hope he gets signed somewhere and he balls out because I legitimately felt bad for him. And I'm not saying I'm a truther because I criticize him plenty on this show, but I legitimately feel bad for him because his boss was a complete idiot and just did not know how to run a football team. And, you know, before we move on to our next segment here, last point I'm going to make is this, and this is something that, you know, people don't want to hear in the bears fan base because it's pretty much telling them off, but you know, that's what we do here at fireside bears. We tell people off respectfully and professionally. You know, the problem with this fan base and the problem with the city is when things aren't going well, it's never the head coach's fault. Unless you're Mark Trestman, of course, which even during the Trestman days, they were blaming Jay Cutler for everything just because the, the quarterback's the punching bag in Chicago, ladies and gentlemen. And it's legitimately an issue because the Bears have always had pretty good rosters outside of the Trestman and the John Fox years. They just have not had the right head coaches in place and system to develop these guys. So ultimately, you know, I can't wait for the day that if Justin Fields, you know, messes up in Chicago, hopefully he doesn't because, you know, everyone's tired of bad quarterback play. What's going to happen is we're going to blame Justin Fields when in reality, you know, as good as we've made Matt Eberflus out to be on paper, the Bears are one of the most unproven regimes right now in the NFL. And the reason I say most unproven is because all these guys are first time. I understand these guys like Kevin O'Connell for the Vikings is first time too, but you're more likely to hit on the, on a head coach from the Sean McVay coaching tree, then you are hit on the, you know, than someone from like the Frank Wright coaching tree. But anyways, you know, moving past that talk again, we don't love Mitch. We don't hate the guy. We hope he succeeds because we're never going to root for a player to fail unless you're number 12 in green Bay, but let's talk scouting combine even more guys. Lots of prospects. I think there's like 300 something of them. Duke, let's go to you first. I mean, who's a prospect you're watching this week at the combine. So um, I haven't gotten in, I haven't gotten insanely deep with some of the later round guys, but um, I really like the point that Sam brought up earlier about guys that could possibly drop in this draft class because it happens every single year. There are guys who have no business not going in the first round. And um, one guy that has really intrigued me with all the film I've watched on him, he's projected in kind of the first, second round era. But uh, dude, I love Traylon Burks from Arkansas. I think he is a guy who... You know, not only is he have good size, not only, you know, 6'3", 225, he uh, runs a good 40 time. You know, to me, that's not overly important. He is a guy who can play every wide receiver position. I watched him 
play every single wide wide receiver position. He's played in the slot. He's played on the outside. He's a guy who can run routes, and that's a lot of how he gets open. And he really likes putting his hands out to catch a football. Like, um, I, I don't know if any of you guys have watched any of his film at Alabama uh, against Alabama, but he was all over the field. He almost single-handedly carried Arkansas's offense. And, um, you know, I think Arkansas has a very overrated quarterback room, personally. I think they always have. So I think when a guy like this shows out the way he did this season, you know, 66 receptions for 1,104 yards, 11 touchdowns, that's uh, that's something that really uh, – it, it gets your eyes going. So I really, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does in the 40 time. Obviously I'm excited to see how he, um, you know, catches football in, in, in space. You know, it's kind of hard to tell with the combine, but he is a guy that every time I go back to kind of my big board, he's just a guy that sticks out to me. And he's a guy that if he ends up falling because he didn't go to an Ohio state or a big name college, he's a guy that I feel like at 39, if he's available, he reminds me of kind of like that Alshon Jeffrey type guy that if he's there, you cannot pass him up. See, Traylon Burks would make sense from the perspective of just rebuilding that wide receiver room. I also think just the film study I've done on him, he would be a perfect complement to a guy like a Darnell Mooney and someone like Daz Newsom too. But I think, you know, you have to keep an eye on what's going on at Ohio State because Ohio State, typically they've been known for what, two positions, their edge rushers as well as their cornerbacks. But who have they sent to the NFL over the last couple seasons they sent josh myers they sent wyatt davis this year they're going to send nicholas petit frere as well as thayer munford that right there is and i think billy price too from a couple of years ago the point is that's offensive lineman right there when i look at round two as well as round three nicholas petit frere is a name that really intrigues me because when you look at the measurables is he the most imposing guy as an offensive tackle? No, he's about whatever, six foot five, six foot six, only 315 pounds. But what I love about him is the power he plays with. He does have some pretty good mobility, some really good footwork, too. You know what? He understands how effective pass sets work. And then I also think that when it comes to his athleticism and who he is as an athlete, he's not the greatest athlete on the planet. Not that we expect offensive linemen to be, but he's a pretty good athlete, right? He's got really loose hips too. Now I do think he does need to get stronger if he's going to continue to be effective at the next level in terms of just continuing to play with that power. It's like what Joe alluded to. These guys look great in college and they get to the NFL and there's not necessarily a fit for them. So Petit Frere is a name that when I look at, I certainly think he's a fit with the Bears. You also look at his experience in terms of being able to play all over the offensive line. He's played, I know, left tackle, right tackle, played some guard too, I believe. I think that bodes really well for the a team like Chicago that at this point, they're trying to do two things, rebuild the offensive line, but then also figure out some versatility because this is a unit and how some of these more versatile offensive linemen can fit. Because ultimately, when you look at this, what's happened is this over the last few seasons is just the fact that this unit's got hit with injuries and they have not had adequate replacements in place. Yeah, I um, so there's names I really like. and There's names I've talked about on this show. Um, you said, Joe, you guys both know I'm a David Bell guy. Um, Duke, I'm a David Bell guy. Um, Dad went to Purdue, Boilermaker. Watched him play. Unbelievable guy. But um, a player that I want to talk about a little bit, a guy who I think has been projected kind of more like round four, round five. Um, 
at a positional group where the Bears need to find depth this year, um, a positional group that Ryan Poles emphasized that he wants more speed um, and, and really wants to kind of change the image of. I really like Tyler Smith from Tulsa. Um, dude is an absolute bruiser. And I know that's like a very common word for people to say like, oh, he's a bruiser. Like that's why he's a good player. No, like the guy gets after players and, and his hands and his grip when he gets guys in is unbelievable. You're not going anywhere. It's unbelievable. It's like his hands glue onto you. Now, He's a very raw prospect, and there's a lot of things that he's definitely going to need to work on. But the little film that I've kind of watched of him, I, I just don't know how a guy like Ryan Poles could pass up a guy like this. And, you know, I am always of the opinion, like, if you can get a good athlete later in the draft and, and you're trying to find depth, this is a guy I feel like could be a decent swing tackle option. Again, there's not a lot of continuity with this Bears offensive line. Whether or not some guys are staying, obviously, is James Daniels coming back in the interior? Are the Bears going to do anything with Cody Whitehair? Who's going to play center next year? You know, what's the plan with Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum? So obviously, I think offensive tackle is important. I think my philosophy is if I was a GM is draft an offensive lineman, interior or outside at any point in the draft at some point. It's one of the most important positions in football. I really like what I see out of Tyler Smith. I'm really excited to watch him a little bit in the combine. Again, I know obviously like I'm not like a huge fan of the combine, but this is a guy I'm definitely keeping my eyes on as a as a, a nice day th- sort of three, maybe round five pick for the Bears, bringing some solid offensive line depth, a guy that that pulls can kind of shape into his image and likeness and just nasty. He, he just plays hard and he plays aggressive. And I, I just think the Bears kind of need that nastiness on the offensive line. Yeah, definitely. I like that you address nastiness in the offensive line because that's honestly a huge thing for me that if somebody's honestly not nasty and mean, I really don't want to target them. Like Quinn Miners last year was a guy I really wanted just solely because of how absolutely disgusting he was in the trenches and confident in himself. And I absolutely love that. So I love that you bring that up. Um, but my guy, um, I'm going to talk about him as I always do, Christian Watson. Um, but I'm going to double up. So the first will be Christian Watson. Um, if you guys don't really know about him, um, North Dakota State wide receiver, um, he kind of came out of the senior bowl. That's when he kind of started getting his attention. Um, just due to the fact that he's a towering six, four and he is incredibly fast. And I really want to see if that speed in game lines up to what it would be on the 40. So that's kind of what I'd be looking at for him and along with his agility drills. Cause his route running is already incredible. Uh, he wasn't, he didn't absolutely jump off the stat sheet while he was at North Coast state. The most receiving yards he had was this past year with 800 yards, but he had two different quarterbacks coming in and out and neither of them are, amazing by any means. There are no Trey Lance that he had for a little bit, but um, if you look at the numbers, 800 receiving yards and a mainly running offense, he accounted for like, I believe it was over 30% of his team's receiving yards alone. So he's incredible. He, he's always getting open. He's deep. He gets open deep. He runs incredible. Outs they're crisp. So I want to see that in like the, the numbers game. I want to see if it adds up completely. Um, David Bell specifically, I really am interested to see how fast he runs because it's more of not really me caring. I know he's not incredibly fast. I know he's good with the ball in his hands. I know he's being comped to guys like Allen Robinson and Keenan Allen just due to the fact that he's a crisp route runner, but isn't going to wow you with speed, but it has good, like solid size. So I'm interested to see if he runs, like if, if he comes out and somehow runs like a four, four, I'd be very curious to see. Maybe he really is actually fast. And maybe he just doesn't look that fast on, in game tape. So I'm just going to watch that again. That doesn't really level kind of change for where I'm feeling on either of those prospects. Watson to me is a guy that you, he should be going in the second round, but if he falls to the later second or early third, I'm totally okay with, totally okay with trading back and grabbing him and then getting more picks. 
Um, David Bell, if he, if he's available at 39, I, I wouldn't hesitate. I would take him too. So Sam, I know you said it too. David Bell is your guy, but I want to touch on it a little more specifically what I'm looking at. But again, combine is not going to change how I'm feeling about any of these players. I'm just curious to more so see if their numbers would back up how they look on the field. Those are all great picks, guys. They're great prospects to keep an eye on. They'd make great picks for the Bears, too. But, you know, when you talk about prospects to avoid, it, it's interesting because this one doesn't get talked about as much. You know, prospects that the Bears should absolutely not go ahead and touch. And, you know, last, well, there hasn't been a combine over the last couple of years because of the coronavirus pandemic. But, I feel like if there was a combine last year, everyone would get so hyper-focused on the quarterbacks. I would absolutely say please stay away from Zach Wilson because he's an unknown commodity, and I just don't think Zach Wilson is going to succeed. But, dude, who do you have for prospects to avoid? So the big one that I have, um, you know, I, I think this will kind of throw, might throw you guys off a little bit just because he's gotten quite a bit of praise, um, you know, three-year starter in college. But – um. I really, I'm not a big fan of Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Um, I think, I think he's a guy who gets a little bit too much credit in a, a bit of like a, like I said, bottom heavy draft earlier. Um, I think he is pretty good in the run game. Um, I think him playing tackle will bode well into his draft progress. I don't think he was necessarily good at tackle though. I think it was more of a playing by necessity, and I think a lot of his weaknesses showed out there, uh, specifically as a pass blocker. Um, and his balance at times seemed really kind of wonky. Um, I, I played offensive line in high school. Um, I, I consider myself kind of good. And there's just a lot of things that I try to look at, especially in pass blocking. And there's just a lot of things I feel like he's missing. Um, I could see him being a guy that would fall, but he's someone that if he was available at 39, I would really strongly be against drafting. Um, I, as a Wisconsin Badgers fan, I see a lot of offensive linemen who get a lot of hype coming out. Um, and they get a lot of credit for being, you know, a big guy, you know, Kenyon Green, six four three twenty five. That's your ideal offensive guard in the NFL, you know, and you get this idea that because they started that long, well, they must be that good. But I think Texas A&M was that kind of hard pressed with offensive linemen over the course, of especially the past two seasons where he was a guy that shined on an offensive line that probably wasn't all that great in the first place. And I think his stock is just far too high for my tasting. I would see him more as like a third, fourth round prospect personally. The this there's like seven or eight prospects from AM that going into this pre this draft cycle, and I'm gonna take it all the way back to basically August, September, October. People had labeled as all these first round picks. You're looking at guys like Jalen Windmeyer, you know, a couple other ones that I just don't want to mention off the top of my head right now. But you're right. You know, th this this Texas A&M draft class, I think, is going to be the one school where there's the most boom or bust potential. Now, for me, let's head out to the West Coast, guys. You know, the Bears have not really had an affinity for UCLA players throughout the Ryan Pace era. And honestly, Let's go ahead and keep it that way. I mean, unless you're Roquan Smith, who originally committed to UCLA before switching over to Georgia, smartest decision on the planet, by the way. But anyways, because why would you not stay at home and become the hometown hero from Montezuma to Athens, go all the way to California? But anyway, I'm avoiding UCLA wide receiver Kyle Phillips. When I look at this guy, I see basically prototypical slot receiver but he's like 5'11 185 pounds so you know for a fact he's playing under his weight doesn't have the biggest hands they're only like whatever 
eight inch hands. All right. Arms are well under what they need to be for an effective wide receiver. And his problem just starts with route running for me. I think Kyle Phillips, you look at, and you're looking at someone who at best might not even be on an NFL roster come training camp. I just think he's someone that you can plug into the slot, but guess what? Unfortunately, he's not the best route runner. Okay. If you're a wide receiver, you can't run routes properly. That's a problem because you're just not going to be able to beat defensive backs out there. It's not like this guy has anything such as breakaway speed either that kind of helps you go ahead and, you know, separate and break away from defenders. Yeah. I mean, I'll continue the, the kind of streak of guys. I don't, you know, want the bears to necessarily even consider. Uh, and, and mine for me personally is a guy who's been dropping into the second round pretty much every single time. I think he's, I think he's projected mid middle of the second round or something like that. Um, is Bernhard Raymond, uh, offensive tackle. I, I, I've been watching the film a little bit just because, again, I, I've been trying to kind of see where the Bears could take in terms of a route uh, in the second round. I could absolutely see the Bears taking an offensive lineman in the second round. I'm not a huge fan of taking another tackle. Uh, I, I just feel like you have a good prospect in Jenkins. I feel like you need to get some veteran options on the other half of that offensive line or at very least give Larry Borum a shot. Again, I feel like Larry Borum's very a, a, a question mark as to what his future holds with the Chicago bears. Cause it just feels like there's options for him. But I, I did a little research on Raymond because he just, again, he's, he's, he's sitting there for the bears every single time I'm doing mock drafts and stuff. And I'm like, all right, like, let me do a little bit more research on this guy. He looks like a robot in pass in the pass rush. He just, he's very like mechanical. And when things go wrong, I'm just not a huge fan of it. I don't love his run scheme. I don't love the way that he was in the run game. And I just, he seems kind of like a guy that maybe needs a couple of years. And if the bears are going to go offensive lineman early in the second round, I want a guy who can play right away. And this seems like a project player. And again, I'm, I I'm all for guys like project players, raw talent, not in the second round of the NFL draft, not when it's your first overall pick. And this was kind of a hard question just because there hasn't been a lot of names that I've been like, absolutely not for the bears, but when you said obviously sent the itinerary my way and I was just looking at this, he's a guy that keeps showing up every single time I'm, I'm doing a little research for the draft and, and doing my mock drafts and stuff. And I see his name pop up. I, I avoid it at all costs. I don't want the bears taking offense tackle early. If they're going to, I certainly don't want to be him. I, I just think he's going to need some time to adjust and develop in this league. And that's a luxury the bears don't have this season. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, I haven't gotten to his tape yet, but I really need to get into him more. I've, I've watched him a little bit here and there, you know, I was watching games and I wasn't a huge fan of him either. So glad to see somebody else is also on the same page as me. But uh, the guy I'm really honestly avoiding um, is Calvin Austin from Memphis. I know a lot of people love his explosion, his speed, but I mean, dude, you're five, seven, 170 pounds. Again, Darnell Mooney is considered like a small wide receiver. He's like five ten. And he's skinny, yes, and he's a small frame, but he protects himself well. Calvin Austin does not protect himself well. He plays aggressive and tough, which, again, you love to see that. But when you're that small, you can't do that. Not in the NFL, dude. You're going to get murdered. So, he's he, first of all, he's small to start with it. Second of all, his route running is just messy. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Memphis wide receivers after Anthony Miller. He kind of just – I think Calvin Austin's a similar sort of comparison to Anthony Miller in terms of when they're running their routes, they're more of running them pretty freely and not – in terms of like running them accurately. So that was kind of Miller's big issue was he was never running his routes where he was supposed to. And I think Calvin Austin has flashes of stuff very similar to that. And the fact that he's too small and 
Calvin Austin also, like watching him play, he obviously prefers the outside. Putting someone that small on the outside is just not safe. Like having him run big routes in the middle of the field, like say a, say a deep dig route from the outside, he's going to take a hit. Have him run a little slant route from, from the outside, he's going to take a big hit. It's, he's just not, I don't think he's a guy that could be on the field for 100 snaps or for 100% of the snaps and a guy who's going to be in there all the time. Like you already have, again, Mooney's, a smaller wide receiver. You don't want two extremely tiny. And I don't want to say delicate, but guys that could have a higher injury risk. Wide receiver starting on your team. So I think Calvin Austin is just a guy who's basically just would essentially be a mid round guy that you're drafting as the backup to Mooney. And I just think that's pointless. Yeah. I'm worried of these Memphis wide receivers, but Especially after your right jar guy, Anthony Miller, who a lot of people talked about as just need a different quarterback. And then, you know, he had a different quarterback, but still floundered and was on like three different rosters in 2021, by the way. But okay, getting away from combine stuff here, let's talk free agency, guys, because Alec Ogletree started 16 games at 87 tackles, like five or six tackles for loss. And he was one of those guys, again, that was a really late free, or I'm sorry, not even a, he was a free agent, but he was a late add to training camp because the Bears were in like their second or third week, had played the first preseason game and then added Alec Ogletree. And what's significant, I think, is that Ogletree showed out in whatever remaining preseason games he played. You know, I think that the second game against Mitch Trubisky and the Bills at Soldier Field, right? Alec Ogletree was one of the reasons that the Bills didn't score on the first drive, effectively plugging up a run gap. So this leads to a real intriguing question is, should the Bears bring back Alec Ogletree? He's only, whatever, 30, 31 years old. Certainly has been healthier than, well, was healthier in 2021 than Danny Trevathan. So, Duke, what do the Bears do here with number 44? So, um, I... I'm under the impression I actually really liked Al Goldtree throughout most of his career. Um, I was really high on him in the draft um, when he was coming out. I actually really thought the Bears were going to take a big shot on him. Um, I don't know if you guys remember a lot of that uh, kind of build up around Al Goldtree during that draft cycle. But um, the more I've watched of him, he seems like a guy who got hot at the right time in training camp. Um, obviously, J- Danny Trevathan just has not been himself. Um, it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to. I don't want to doubt him per se because I really like Danny Gervais and I really like what he's given to Chicago, but I don't think he'll ever get back to where he was. Um, I think his body just simply, it's kind of like a Kyle Long situation. It's at a certain point in his career where his body just is not giving him what he needs to succeed. And, um, you know, I think, I think Ogletree did a, a, you know, a good job in filling that role kind of as the run stuffer, kind of um, being able to, handle everything up front between the tackles. The Roquan could kind of play safety a little bit back in the middle, you know, kind of the sideline to sideline type linebacker that Roquan Smith is. Um, I I think Roquan's a lot better than just that, you know, presentation of him, but that's exactly how he was used in three, four. Um, But overall, I think, um, I think if he gets brought back, it has to be at the right price. It has to be with the idea that his job is not necessarily safe. Um, I would really like, I didn't bring this up on my prospect to watch. I'm trying really hard not to be a Wisconsin Homer. Um, I feel like Joe knows exactly where I'm going with this, but, uh, I really like Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin. Um, especially if he were to fall to a middle round and I would love for the bears to take a shot on a guy like that, even if it's not Leo, 
Um, I think there's linebackers in this draft. I think it's a surprisingly mid mid to late round. It's fairly deep as far as uh, inside linebackers go. I'd really like the Bears to take a shot there. Um, I think Ogletree was a he benefited from being at the right place at the right time. We didn't have a lot of depth behind him. Um, Woods and Iggy didn't pan out nearly as much as we thought they were going to inside. Um, obviously, at, at one point we had Christian Jones and they're taking snaps. You know what I mean? So. There was kind of a lot of influx there. So I would I be against Alec Ogletree coming back? Absolutely not. But it has to be at the right price. It has to be at the idea that you have to earn your job going into week one. Otherwise, great depth piece if at you know, if we're not paying him a lot of money. But I, I have a hard time lining him up next to Roquan in training camp and saying you're gonna be week one starter. Yeah, I I agree with that. I, I definitely feel like I said this similarly when we were talking about Marquise Goodwin last week. Definitely a guy I think you bring back for veteran depth purposes and as a camp body with the intention of like, Hey, you were a guy we needed to fill a role last year. Things have changed and your job is not guaranteed. And again, I'm not, I'm not bending my back over to try to bring him back, but if it's the right price, I don't see why not. Now, obviously the bears have made some moves recently. Uh, they've, they've signed a couple of linebackers, uh, Noah Dawkins. And, uh, I think literally today they signed, uh, Joe Thomas. Again, none of those names are necessarily like, oh my gosh, these are great moves, but they're depth pieces. These are guys that are clearly going to be here for training camp. And it's a positional group that I think the Bears are going to see a lot of new names outside of Roquan Smith. Um, and if they feel like they want some continuity and Ogletree is available at the right price, I couldn't agree more. I think you bring him back and you at least kind of allow him to kind of see, okay, was, was your training camp you know, story that you had kind of just a fluky one-year thing, or can you be a legitimate solid option for the Bears? Because I, I do agree with you, Duke. Like, I, I think he did a solid job and, you know, he had some kind of dumb moments this past season, but I also thought he had some really, really good plays. So like, you know, little inconsistent at times, but solid overall, nothing special, nothing to, to write home about. But if it's at the right price and the Bears feel like it's a, it, you know, it's a good veteran to have again, another guy who who kind of knows the group and, and obviously has played with Roquan a little bit. Obviously, the Bears defense is gonna be changing a little bit. And and again, you know, if he's a guy who doesn't make it past training camp, I'm not gonna be upset about it. But um, I'm definitely not opposed to bringing Ogletree back. I, I think he's definitely done enough in this past season to to warrant at least a, a chance to be back on the right deal and for the right amount of money. See, I legitimately, and I'll before I make this, let me make this quick point here. Then Joe's going to wrap the segment up. But I would bring Ogletree back for the sole purpose of the fact that we're talking scheme fit here, right? This team does not have the linebackers needed to effectively transition from three four to four three because we have to keep something in mind. Is that now what you're going to see is Quinn and Mac are not going to be your pass rushers on the outside you know they're going to be your defensive end so i would bring ogletree back for the sole fact that he's had experience playing in a 4-3 defense he's a player that did it for so long with the rams did it with the giants i understand he fell off with the giants just a bit but i also think that was more so due to like poor coaching and just poor conditioning the inability to kind of stay healthy because the giants are the biggest dumpster fire in the nfl right now Sorry, Alex and Anthony over at Fireside Giants, one of our sister pods. But 
I would not be opposed to bringing Ogletree back because, again, you need someone on this roster outside of Roquan Smith that's going to be a good leader. And Ogletree is certainly someone that provides that. He can also play the, um, you know, Mike linebacker or the Sam if really needed. Yeah, honestly, you guys said on everything I want to talk about, specifically Duke with uh, Leo Chanel. Um, if you came back to me and it was training camp and you came in with the three starters of Roquan Smith, Leo Chanel, and Al Ogletree, I'm totally content with that. You just got two cheap linebackers and then you were able to pay Roquan Smith. So I'm totally okay with having that be the three core. As long as you're spending money elsewhere in a good way and spending picks elsewhere in a good way, like on corner and safety and defensive line, and you're compensating for the fact that you have two, like we have one in one in experience linebacker, like mid round pick and one fringe backup as your other one. If you sell that to me with that, you surrounded the, the rest of them with amazing talent that I'm totally okay with that. You guys hit it. Well, I mean, it, at the very least bring them in for the camp again, bring them in on a veteran minimum deal. Let him compete. Bring him. Bring a guy like Anthony Walker, who's familiar with Eberflus's defense, to compete with him possibly, and let the winner get the job. And let the other, let the loser either get cut or be a backup. Like, what's it gonna hurt? I mean, I don't think there's much gonna be that like quote unquote hurts, right? But it, look, like this is you know what I think is gonna happen this offseason with some of the Bears' own free agents is I think Chicago is going to go ahead and just bring some of these guys back on these cheap one-year deals and then just figure out a way to develop some of these undrafted free agents like a Charles Snowden or Sam Kamara or even a Caleb Johnson or just find their replacements in the draft. Like, I wholeheartedly believe that that's just how the Bears are going to do things because, again, like, people are sitting here and they're talking about, well, these are all the ways to create cap space. Once you create that cap space, guess what? You can do one of two things. You can use it on players that are already on the roster for guys like Roquan Smith, or you can go ahead and basically retain some of your own free agents. Now, when it comes to creating cap space, I mean, one of the most interesting case studies Chicago has is running back to Rico and hasn't played in a year and a half pretty much is whatever, you know, only 26 years old. So still relatively young by NFL running back standards. But unfortunately, if you designate Tariq Cohen as a post June first cut, you create four million in cap space, but you have a dead money charge of one point seven million. So, Duke, what happens with Tariq Cohen here? I think Tariq is an inc- an incredibly difficult to sit, uh, incredibly difficult spot. Um, obviously, he got his contract. Um, we all know what happened almost immediately after he got his contract with the injury, um, and I'm not totally convinced Tariq is mentally prepared to play football right now. You know, he wasn't someone who was available to the media too much during the past season. Um, He's a guy that the entire team, like the entire team loves him. The entire fan base loves him. As far as I can see, you know, you're always going to have those guys that will always attack professional athletes for their bodies failing on them. You know, congratulations to you for that. Um, But I really think we're going to be hard pressed to be able to keep a guy like Tariq, especially with, the emergence of Khalil Herbert, who, um, you know, you, you guys probably haven't heard my takes on Khalil Herbert per se, but um, I'm really high on him. I think he's a one cut type of running back. He reminds me a lot of uh, a poor man's Clinton Portis, if you will. And uh, to have that as kind of a similar back to uh, David Montgomery um, and, you know, 
who knows what's going to happen with Damian Williams moving forward. I think that's going to have uh, Luke Getze written all over it about what happens with that. Um, it, it's just there's too many cooks in the kitchen in the running back room right now. And unfortunately, Tariq's the one with a body who's failing on him. And it's it's a shame. This is the worst part about football. This is the worst part about any sport is having to kind of accept defeat on a guy that you just absolutely love because his body gave up on him. But I just I'm I'm worried about Tariq's psyche. I'm worried about Tariq's body. Um, the fact that we didn't get to even see him at all in pads this past season was just very worrisome. And it just makes you wonder what the long term future, even outside of the Bears in football in general, holds for Tariq yeah, yeah. kind of hard to really add anything to that. I'm interrupting you. You said I'm going. Go ahead. Um, but it it all signs point to some sort of injury settlement. Um, I, I think in the the press conferences today, no comment was really made about that regarding the injury, and that's not a very good sign. And it's it's hard because I remember 2017 his impact on the offense. I, I mean, truly one of the few things that worked. I mean, the punt return he had against the 49ers in 2017, I was there. It was incredible. Everyone was yelling no. And then all of a sudden we started yelling yes as he did this weird loop-de-loop move and scored and was like one of the few touchdowns that game. Bears end up losing 15-14 to off of Robbie Gould, last second kick, of course. But it's it's hard because what he provided for the offense when he's healthy it's so dynamic and there's so many things you can do with him. You know, you can line him out in the slot. You can put him in the backfield. You can, you can do a two, two backfield kind of thing, especially with a Dave Montgomery. And again, it's hard because you got something in Khalil Herbert, right? I don't know if we're having this conversation, if Khalil Herbert didn't have kind of the rookie season that he had in the moments that he had. And, you know, I I'm of the opinion that I feel like the bears aren't going to retain Damian Williams just because it, it just seems like he's been phased out. Duke, you said it perfectly. Too many cooks in the kitchen. I would agree the same thing with Damian Williams. But for Cohen, it's it's hard because I could justify it. You know, Ryan Poles didn't pay him that money. Ryan Pace did. And, and it's hard to, to justify paying a utility player like Tree Cohen. But the impact he had on the offense and, and you know, what he was able to do and, and sort of what he brings to the table, I think justified and warranted that contract. But it's really hard for me right now, present day, to look at the situation and be like, he is going to be in a Bears uniform in 2022, in 2023. It's, it, it's again, it's a tough, tough situation. You know, if he's not in a Bears uniform next year, I hope he's able to stay in the league. But it, it's hard for me to think anything other than an injury settlement at this point. Honestly, I don't think Tariq Cohen's going to be back. I mean, he's had some productive seat. He's I shouldn't say he's had productive seasons. He's really only had one really productive season. You look at 2019, he basically came out and was just like, yeah, I didn't take care of my body. And then in, well, he said that in 2020, referring to the 2019 season. And you saw basically like a calendar year later, what happened? He ended up hurting himself. And, you know, I think him not taking care of his body in 2019 has just continued to cost him because every time I was at Bears camp last year, Tariq would always be working out on the side with the trainer. And it gets to a point where it's just like, how many times do you need to work out before you're legitimately ready to go? So I just don't see him being back. I just think that, you know, the only argument I could see for him being on the roster is the fact that the Bears, you know, they are probably going to have some dead cap charges with guys like Nick Foles and Danny Trevathan that they don't want to take on an additional dead cap charge. 
this offseason and just pay someone that's not on the roster. But at the end of the day, I think it's just one of those moves. You just make it and get it over with right now. Yeah. If I had to really guess what's going on with Cohen is my guess is he had a second and or third surgery and he's struggling physically and mentally. I mean, it's impossible to not know if he is healthy yet at this point without having another surgery. Even if it is mental, if it is mental, unfortunately, he probably won't be playing another down if you can't come back from an injury that only requires a six-month recovery. So my guess is honestly he's had more surgeries, and that's honestly what his downfall is going to be. And it's really sad. Like, again, like you said, Duke, it sucks that somebody's body fails on you. And it's just, it's, again, he's a fan favorite. Everybody loves him. He's a great punt returner, a hard worker. He would play, tw- he'd play like, and go on Twitch and stream with all with with like and play with Bears like fans and everyone would watch him and everybody loved him and he gets hurt and his body's just filling up and everybody wants him out and again I personally don't want him out but it is best financially to get him out like you guys said too many cooks in the kitchen I want Shaquem Grant back personally I think he's a great return man obviously he's all pro and pro bowler so bring him back and if anything he can replace Cohen for now. And again, I hope Cohen finds spots somewhere else in the future. But like you guys, you guys kind of hit everything I was going to talk about. It's not Pole's guy. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Chikim Grand is an option that we had last year. It's just the writings on the wall. I feel like for Cohen, I really don't think he's back next year. Honestly, it's it, it's time to do this, right? It's like out with the old, in with the new. And, you know, there's some old players from the regime that there's some players from the old regime you're going to keep. Some of them you just got to move on from and cut bait. And I will say this as we transition to our next topic here, just regarding the Poles and Eberflus pressers and what we had takeaways is they the Bears are a team that's kind of shown us when it comes to players who are injured, the Bears always move on a year too late. I think with Tariq Cohen, this is the offseason to move on. Like, no disrespect to Kyle Long, but this feels like a Kyle Long situation all over again because you have some people that want him gone. You have some people that want Tariq Cohen back. And it's like Kyle Long effectively, quote-unquote, retired. He tried to push through and play, but you could tell his body was slowing down. And the Bears should have just done right by Kyle and cut him a year earlier, but they didn't do so. Now, when you talk about the Poles and Eberflus pressers, you know, there was a lot said today, but I think my biggest takeaway overall was that it was clear the way the Bears are going to evaluate these offensive line prospects is not necessarily how we all thought. When Ryan Poles is coming out and saying things like there's going to be an emphasis on stuff like, you know, weight and muscle and body fat, that just really tells you they're going to go about evaluating these offensive linemen differently and in a manner that is not just going to be dependent on stuff like measurables and scheme fit. Go ahead, Duke. Oh, my bad. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, uh, I agree with a lot of those points. So um, I'm definitely, I, I really think that's a lot of what is going to happen. And it's been brought up a couple of times over the course of this podcast um, about how it's going to be polls, bringing in his guys, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of movement with the roster. Um, are we, are we going to, are we jumping right to the next point? My bad. You said, 
No, you're good. It's going to be Sam and Joe's turn. It's fine. We're at the point in the podcast now where whatever goes, goes. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I'm i not going to lie. I was kind of preparing for that next point. So I spaced just a hair. But uh, yeah, no, I, I like like I said, to your point, man, you, you're spot on. It's going to be a lot of polls and Eberflus kind of setting up this roster. And uh, even a point, I guess I kind of want to go back to since I kind of have a second here. Um, Joe, when you're talking about kind of having all those linebackers in the room to uh, kind of bring in for uh, Eberflus's scheme. Um, I think one thing that I that Bears fans might have missed out a little bit on with uh, what Eberflus runs is. I would dare say that a lot of base defenses in the NFL are very similar these days, um, specifically the ones that they stay in um, consistently, um, specifically because of how linebackers and safeties are being used. But I could see the Bears being used almost in a nickel package for a majority of their football games. So really, I, I think a lot of the guys, like if you were to bring back um, Ogletree or if you were to go really want to go any – get any linebacker who's played in like any multitude of systems. I think as long as you can ta- as long as you can play within tackles, you can go back and zone coverage. Um, I think as long as you can play in a nickel defense, I think you can fit in Chicago. And I think Eberflus used a lot of nickel packages while he was with the Colts. And um, I could see a lot of that being used with that. So um, I guess, I guess that's kind of a, a jumbled up point, but I guess the biggest thing I want to p- bring up is I don't want people to get stuck on the idea of a four, three, like, yes, that is the scheme in name. We are going to have four down linemen and three linebackers on the field at some point in football games, but I guarantee we will sit in a base nickel, a good majority of. I am honestly not entirely sure where to go because I think two Separate points were brought up about two different things. I think they're both really, really good points. Um, so I'm going to transition back to the polls Eberflus presser really quickly because I want to talk about something that got brought up uh, during the press conference that I really, really liked. I liked what he had to say about Darnell Mooney. Um, he was very, very high on him, both as a player, but both uh, on the field and off the field. And that gets me a little bit excited because I think we're just kind of starting to see the player that Darnell Mooney is going to be. And that was with a Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace-led regime. I, I Obviously, again, we have to continue to kind of be in this mindset of, okay, don't sh- tell me, show me. Um, because we kind of have been here before as Bears fans and as Bears content creators and as Bears analysts. Like, we've done this song and dance time and time again. But I really, really liked the comments made about Mooney because – Mooney was one of those guys that you could consistently look to and be like, he's going to make plays. And, and he wasn't amazing by any means, but he was good. And he took, I think he took a step in his sophomore year. I'm excited to see the fluidity with him and Justin Fields. I'm excited to see kind of how polls addresses the wide receiver core, because he made it clear that he wants somebody that fields can rely on. And whether that's through the draft or through free agency or through a mix of both, um, I am very excited to kind of see what players he brings in and how they mesh with Mooney's style of play. Um, I think Mooney is a guy who, when he has a little bit more time on some longer routes, is very, very hard to guard. I mean, we saw kind of the deep opportunities when he got open kind of deeper down the field. And Fields has a great deep arm. We talked about how deep. Incredible as we can make. And again, I am of the opinion that the Bears don't need to spend a lot of money in free agency this offseason on the wide receiver position, but 
there are going to be a lot of really good names available. This is a good free agency market for wide receivers. This is a very, very good draft class. And finding guys that mesh well with Mooney and allow him to continue building towards what's hopefully a long-term receiver for the Bears, that gets me very excited, and I'm glad Poles addressed it. You guys kind of hit on everything. There really isn't much more to add from the presser because, again, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I just kind of read quotes through the timeline and what everybody was saying about it. Um, the one thing I will add that I loved was Ryan Poles' quote about um, prioritizing. So he's basically prioritizing, obviously, film over draft type. Um, his quote was, you can make some mistakes by what happens in shorts. And it, again, that's just what I reiterate all the time. The combine really doesn't mean a whole lot to me in terms of, okay, yeah, you're running a 40 with a, with a, with a tight dry fit shirt on and shorts and cleats and you're running in a straight line. Like I really couldn't care less how fast you're running in a straight line. The only time you're ever going to do that is when you're running downfield, but the only difference is you're going to have shoulder pads and a helmet on and dudes chasing after you too. So I could care less about that. Again, agility stuff is huge when it comes to that in terms of like changing direction quickly, but still you're doing without pads. So I think he brought up a really good point. That they're just really going to be focused on watching the film. And again, that's, something I've been saying forever that I really couldn't care less about how much they're benching, jumping, running, all that, just as shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah, that's certainly important. You know, getting into our last and final kind of question here or segment, I should say, there's a lot of different things that go down because ultimately when we look at the Bears, I mean, there's questions that this team has to answer. I will say the one question that I have for Chicago heading into free agency, which is roughly like two to three weeks away, is what is this team going to do if they don't hit on a prospect that you know or a free agent that was really high on their draft board because i understand ryan poles likes to operate in a manner and fashion where he's going to be a second and third wave type of gm who's going to make those signings but also you know what if the market for those guys significantly rises you know a guy like a zach pascal or you know dj chark by the way this year i shouldn't even mention because he's going to get massively overpaid but that's my big question, right? Is what are you going to do if the price for those guys goes up? What are you going to do if your plan B, or I'm sorry, what is your plan A doesn't end up working out? You know, because the depth in this free agency class is good, but you also just have to be conscious and mindful of just how you go about allocating your resources because you don't want to pay too much to any one player. Yeah, so kind of uh, picking up off of that, actually, it's not completely similar, but it kind of plays well in what you're just talking about, you said, is um, if that is a good question. What if plan A, like plan A doesn't pan out? What is plan B? That's my idea is do the Bears go to familiarity? Jesus, I can't even talk today. Uh, but do they go to familiar faces? Do they go to guys that these these um, coordinators and that these coaches have played with before? And uh, more specifically, how much say-so does a guy like Luke Getze have? Are we going to have former Green Bay Packers on the Chicago Bears next year on the offensive side of the football? Um, I remember when, um, you know, I'm sure you guys all do too, when the Devontae Adams rumor started, you know, everyone was just going absolutely nuts. Either they hated the rumor, they loved the rumor. Um, overall, I think the rumor is just really overblown, but it did kind of make me think, and I kind of tweeted this out as a meme, but I kind of thought about it after and where it makes sense is, uh, 
What if a guy like Luke Getsky brings in a guy like uh, Marquez Valdez-Scatling, a guy who's 6'4", 200-plus pounds, who um, can get downfield. He is a legitimate deep threat. He has quite a bit of speed, can get down the field, has had some problems with uh, drops in the past, which is always a brutal thing when you listen to a wide receiver. But that seems like a type of guy that a guy like Luke Getze, if he does have legitimate control of this offense, could really go to bat for. Um, I think Green Bay is going to bring it, you know, bring back a guy like Alan Lazard. It seems like Lazard and Adams kind of became the Aaron Rodgers guys. And as we know about Aaron Rodgers, he very much has his guys and that'll kind of dictate how well they're used within the offense. And I felt like a guy like uh, Valdez Scantling kind of fell out of favor. Um, you know, watching quite, a, I always like to watch Packer games because you always want to keep an eye on your enemies. And he's a guy who, when he's on, is a legitimate guy over the top. And that's a big body who, um, if you get him on a post route, can be, uh, can set up a guy like uh, Darna Mooney on the underneath. I think he's somebody who uh, would be a good compliment and it would be a perfect type of guy in a deep ball quarterback, as we were just raving about Justin Fields, who can get the ball downfield. You know, will will Valdez Gantling catch a ball if he's brought down there? You know, that's uh, up for interpretation. But I, what I guess my question would be, how much say does Luke Getze have for the offensive players that are being brought in this upcoming? Yeah, I, I, I want to kind of not answer it per se, but I, I kind of like that you bring that up because I think when we talk about the defensive side of the ball, it it seems like we're going to get some Colts free agents coming on over to Chicago. I mean, we saw basically the majority of the Colts defensive staff follow Matt Eberflus, which is obviously very encouraging. How many free agents on the Colts defensive side of the ball are going to follow because Matt Eberflus has a say in the matter. So I, I like that point. Now, in, in terms of the player selection stuff, I'm of the opinion, like, let's see what happens when it's a quarterback like Justin Fields. And my question actually has to do with the wide receiver position. Are we absolutely 100% certain? Like, what, what is the future of Allen Robinson? It All signs seem to say that he's going to be gone. But the only reason I bring this up as a question is because I absolutely justify see the Bears letting him walk, trying to get a comp pick for him. Hopefully that's going to happen. Again, commissary picks are one of the most confusing things to me, in my opinion. I still don't truly understand them. But I could absolutely seeing ownership – sitting down with him and kind of being like, this is the direction we're going in. You know, we understand kind of the, the sort of fractured relationship you had in the past. And I'm not justifying bringing Allen Robinson back because I don't know if I would want to pay him 18 to $20 million a year. Now, the only reason why I bring up is a potential, maybe he comes back is because the wide receiver market is interesting this year. I, I mentioned it earlier. It's definitely got some solid options, but the reports seem to say that Chris Godwin's going to be back. You got a lot of question marks and guys like Michael Gallup coming off an ACL injury. And ultimately, are you going to give a Christian Kirk or a Mike Williams close to 16, 17, $18 million? Um, ultimately, I, I do think it's probably going to be the case that Robinson's going to be gone. But I could absolutely see ownership at least going to him and kind of being like, this is the plan. This is a long-term deal. We obviously know you've had kind of the short end of the stick here, but if this is something that you still think is a good option for you, and and, and ultimately, I don't think Robinson did enough this past season, and I don't think it's necessarily all his fault, but he wasn't great in 2021. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. And again, it's not all necessarily his fault, but like he wasn't a great wide receiver one this past off, you know, this past season. And my, you know, my thought is, is he willing to go and make less money 
to play for another organization or is he going to stick around? So that, that's kind of a question mark that I have. Again, he is probably the biggest free agent name of the Bears, um, just in terms of you know big names, I guess, if you, if you will. Um, I don't know how much of an importance it is compared to guys like James Daniels, but I am very interested to see kind of how the Allen Robinson Chicago Bears relationship and fiasco ends uh, this offseason. Because if it's the right price, I'd love to see him back, but I, I know in my heart it's probably. That's a very good point. Um, again, I think, if, like you said, if he comes back at the right price, I'm totally fine with it. I, I think he would come back at the right price in his own eyes too. I'm, I'm curious to see what that is in his eyes after this past season. I really am interested. I wish we could like get a glimpse of like what he's thinking right now, like what he thinks his worth is and what teams on the NFL are. Cause this past season, I mean, he was not good. Like he was just a plain average wide receiver and sure. You can probably blame Matt Nagy for a lot of it. It looks like he looks like Robinson wasn't even the number one option on like most of the plays and you can blame the quarterback situation, but Regardless, I'm very interested to see if he's going to get like a, a short-term deal to kind of prove himself or what from there. Um, regardless, um, my, my kind of question that I'm asking, um, the main thing is how is Poles going to go about the offensive line? So you could see anything happening here in terms of are they going to keep guys like we've talked about, Cody Whitehair? Are they going to let Tevin Jenkins be the unquestioned left tackle starter? Larry Bourne be the right tackle? I have no idea. So I, I'm interested to see if Poles is going to completely just overhaul the entire offensive line or if they're going to basically like bring guys back like James Daniels, basically keep the entire offensive line in place. My guess, if I had to kind of answer the question of what they would do, I think that honestly he's going to overhaul it to guys that fit what they think is best in terms of, of like you were saying, Sam, what Luke Geske wants and what Poles also wants. So what I think could happen, yeah, maybe bring back James Daniels. But I don't see, obviously, Sam Mustafer coming back. I see them going heavy in on a high-level left tackle and paying up for it. I don't know who it could be. I have no idea if it would be a trade, if it would just be a sign. I could see them going in on a left tackle and then just basically letting Borman Jenkins compete for the right tackle spot. Whoever loses, whoever loses either becomes the swing tackle, becomes a guard. And possibly seeing the guards just be white hair, a free agent slash draft center and a free agent slash draft guard. I don't see a lot. I don't see honestly, like, like I love white hair again, great leader, solid guy, but you need more veteran leadership in that on that offensive line, especially left tackle. You need a veteran. You can't have two young guys starting at the tackles. You certainly can as I respond to Sam's Snapchat here, which I'll do in just a moment. But listen up, guys. That's going to do it from us this week. We know it was a bit of a longer show. Duke, thanks so much for joining. You know, good luck with the podcast. You can follow Duke on Twitter at ThatPodGuyDuke. Well, I definitely have to have you on again sometime in the future, man. Yeah, you know, I had a great time on the podcast. Uh, if anyone uh, wants to check out what I'm doing, um, like I, like uh, Isad said, you can follow me at that pod guy, Duke. Um, You can also follow the Barely There podcast. We're hoping to drop our first episode next week um, at Barely There Pod on Twitter. And we'll certainly keep up with you too, man, with all the work that you're doing. But make sure you're following Fireside Bears on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. Make sure you're following myself, Sam, and Joe on Twitter at Shy Sports Sam at Joseph Herf NFL and at Usaid Koshal. And then make sure you are 
liking, commenting, subscribing, rating, reviewing the YouTube channel and the podcast. If you've been keeping up with what's been going on YouTube, guys, a couple things before we get out of here. Sam dropped a great capstone project talking to credentialed Bears media members, okay, like Caitlin Sharkey, Zach Pearson, Kevin Kaduk as well. Chicago media personalities just detailing what's gone wrong with the Bears. Parts one and two are available on every single Apple I'm sorry, every single podcasting platform right now, which includes Apple, because that's where we get the majority of our downloads from. And then listen up for the YouTube channel, guys, we're dropping prospect interviews left and right. Now, the cool thing about these interviews is that these are not just D2 or D3 guys. These are a lot of them are D1 guys. You know, I just talked to Michael Maietti this evening, as well as Takarius Tisdale from Ole Miss. So got Larry Borms, former teammate on there. We got Trayvon Bradford, wide receiver from Oregon State. We got a couple more that are you know coming up here so keep an eye on that for those of you that can't make it to the youtube channel i will be dropping those in podcast format so you can listen to those interviews too really good stuff but for now guys good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you may be it's been a pleasure spending time with you this week although in a virtual format bear down guys we'll see you next week